This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone. Carm Capriato. Remarkable results. We help you stay up to date with all kinds of trends and developments and any kind of brain thing that Dan Taylor has. And he writes to me and he says, Carm, I got another great one for you. This is going to be so cool. Welcome, Dan Taylor. I appreciate that. Those kind words, Carm. Yes, you and I kid around about wake up at three in the morning and these things pop into my head or they come about from leadership groups. And so I have nothing better to do with my time but to throw together PowerPoints and bounce them off you. And then you and I get to have some great conversations. Well, just like me, you're doing the same thing for your core group at Transformers. You're the senior business advisor at at Transformers, Dan, and you're a giver. And and so am I. And whenever we can get together and you say, hey, I did this great class. I put it together. I really improved, motivated some of our team some of our clients, I think it'd be great for the industry. So thank you so much for doing that. We're going to talk today about intentionally lowering tensions in any conversations. And boy, I'll tell you, I think you got to mature and get a little older so that you learn to, if you will, manage your deep think, your inner think, realizing more or less whatever you're going to say is going to have a an empathetic, very hard effect on the next person. When I was young, it just didn't matter. It came out because I got to get my point across. I wanted it puffed up my chest and it just took me some time to realize that just wasn't the way to do it. Yeah. Shoot. And then we aim. I've done a lot of shooting and then aiming after the fact. So no, that's an excellent point, Carmen. A lot of it is being conscientious to the tone, right? The vibe of an interaction with anybody. It could be an interview, which often I, I challenge folks, let's, let's call it a conversation because that immediately lowers the tension just by using a different word, whether it's interaction with our clients as far as, you know, service advisor or even a technician talking to, to one of our uh, clients or having a conversation that maybe isn't so easy. And certainly in leadership roles, oftentimes we've got to lean into conversations and be assertive. And how do we get there, right? So I had put this together several years ago and thought, these are things I learned way, way back with FedEx when I actually went through sales training classes. And then I've just added to my list of things that make sense. This is not a uh, all-encompassing list of things as we get to the last slide here eventually, but I wanted to just share it with folks. We can very intentionally lower the tension of any single conversation. And it's an interesting thing. I reflected on this because it came up multiple times. I was working with some shop form in this group this last weekend. I'm co-facilitating that with one of my colleagues. And it came up, I listen, I'm, you and I both, right, active listeners. One, we did a listening. Well, and you and I will eventually get to a listening podcast and how important that is. We think we're active listeners, and yet we don't always do such a good job. But my ears kept tuning into the fact they kept saying, well, I don't want to have these conversations of conflict, conversations of conflict. And I thought, but there's a difference between conflict and tension, right? Conflict probably takes it to another level of being uncomfortable where maybe expectations are higher that you're really going to collide versus tension should be, it's just a natural thing going through life. And how can we overcome that and very quickly lessen the tension of any conversation that we have? Excellent. I'm, I'm already so deep and engaged in all the words you said because I was actively listening to what you say. And then I think what happens when someone is so actively listening, they don't necessarily jump on saying something next because they're not preparing themselves with an answer. They're just listening intently. And so many of us, we've already got our answer figured out. We don't care what the person says. We're going to jump all over whatever they said and not really have heard that person. And so I love that about what I do as an interviewer for the industry. I've got to try to keep the conversation going. I know where I want to thread our discussion, no matter who it is that's on whatever we're discussing. But if my audience listened as intently as as I do without trying to find the comeback, then I think we all become better people. And I think our person that we're discussing can see that empathy, that total engagement that I have with them. I think when you get a good listener across from you, there's almost this electricity that happens because you could see how much they care. Yeah. We'll do another whole episode on listening because I, I did a lot of research on that. There are some shocking, <laughs> shocking results of how important this listening thing is. And I don't want to give away the hints of that. You and I will get together over the next couple of months and do that. 
Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Well, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. For everyone who may be listening through audio, just pay attention to everything Dan is saying. But if you'd like to see any of the slides that Dan has brought along, then please watch us on YouTube. So let's start. Right. And, then, and we go into some definitions, right? There's the verb side of it and the noun side of it. And a lot of times I share with people, I like to get to the root root and then come back out, right? So the noun obviously is the state of being stretched or tent or tight, strained state of conversation and opposites of attract or mental or emotional strain. And I think that that probably falls very much so into most of the parameters that we talk about within our work environments, but it certainly could come at home. And a lot of what you and I, we want to encourage people to prosper both personally and professionally, the holistic approach of their life. If someone will make strides personally, then it overlaps into their professional life and vice versa. If they will make some great strides professionally, it's always going to make a positive impact on their home life. And then verb-wise, apply a force to something that tends to be to stretch it, right? So again, I use that word lean. We've got to lean into these things. This is no different than talking about comfort zone. There's a lot of the same parallels that we could bring about here. The challenge is that we're just going to have to accept this as part of life, that there's a natural tension that goes on when you meet somebody new, when you have to discuss with somebody why someone was late. These are places that good and healthy or bad and damaging tension happen. They happen within our business, with our team members, our employees. They happen with clients that either misunderstand something or get upset about something. They happen with our vendors and partners, whether there was a ball dropped or billing cycle was confused or something. There's natural tension with our government. And we certainly have lived through that the last couple of years with certain mandates coming out, even taxes, right? Those kind of things will cause tension. Competition. Could be the guy across the street or the guy across the town. Could be a national competitor. In, in a lot of cases, most of us are all in the independent world, so we've got that tension going on. Media can cause tension as well with, with some of the stories they might want to bring out. Family members, that's obvious. Get teenagers, somebody kidnaps them and then takes over their mindset. We've got neighbors. I actually moved. My wife and I moved several years ago. Been over three years ago. We lived literally between the Hatfields and McCoys symbolically. These two neighbors absolutely hated each other in a cul-de-sac. We were in the end of a cul-de-sac. And it was so bad that the one flipped off, literally flipped off the other one every time he left the house to go to work every day. The one had cameras and the other guy wanted to catch him doing something wrong. So his goal was to call the police on him once a month and get him in trouble. So that kind of tension, at some point I said, we're, this is no fun, right? We sneak in and out of our house. Both of them were trying to get us to kind of side with them. And finally, we've just said enough. I think you just totally laid up for us that tension is 110% of Everything we do, look at that, watch TV. And there's nothing, I think it's it's so apropos that you're bringing this up because we are living in such a fast-paced world. And I think that pressure to perform, that pressure to get things done is, I'm not even sure you put time on that list, but I think time is a tension for us. So thank you for coming on and doing this. And I think this could be very cathartic for so many of us in the industry. So let's talk about, it. is there a way that we can fix it? Yeah, absolutely. There are a ton of tools. So that last slide, I believe on the slide deck should get us to the tools and we kind of go through one at a time. Thanks for bringing up the time factor. Absolutely. And by the way, tension or stress, we need a healthy dose of that in our life. We do. We actually need that in our life to move forward. Obviously, if it's too much, we get overwhelmed. But so I put up a simple model. Attention model is any relationship situation, conversation, or even past resentment that causes tension. So we have to remember not only what we're thinking, but what the other person is thinking. So they're thinking, what's your motive? What are you trying to accomplish in this conversation, this interaction? And then at the same time, they're asking the question, what's in it for me? How does this apply to me? And if you remember that people always have these two thoughts in their heads, we, a lot of times we can nip that by giving clear expectations, 
communicating clearly, listening. We talked about active listening quite a bit. So if we looked at the first one, this particular tool I do so naturally that it almost is intertwined with almost every conversation I have. And it's the three Ps. It's purpose, process, and payoff. So to give a quick example, right? The purpose of of this podcast today is to discuss how tension affects us. It can affect us negatively, or we can use some tools to lower the tension to make things easier. And what we're going to do is go through a list of tools. We're going to interact. We're going to ask questions. We're going to reflect on it. And what you're going to get out of this is that our hope is that you'll have some tools that you can use in the next conversation. I just did the three Ps, bam, bam, bam. I just naturally do it. I encourage my leaders to do it. I encourage people to do this in conversation. You can do this with clients. You can do this in an interview, right? It sets the tone when the other person knows why we're here, how we're going to go about it, and what's in it for them. That's the payoff. It automatically lowers the tension dramatically because they know exactly what to expect. It's almost like it gives someone more to think about, Dan, instead of having them with their own thoughts and their own focus. You know, this is exactly how I feel. I don't care what Dan says, blah, blah, blah. And then you're going down and saying purpose and process and payoff. And it's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it. Taking me off top dead center. I've done thousands of of phone conversations or in-person interviews slash what I prefer to call conversations. And this is how it rolls. Hey, Carm, this, you know what? Thanks for taking time over the phone. What I wanted to do is ask your permission. Can I give you some open-ended questions? There's no right or wrong to any of the, the questions. I'm just trying to get an understand how you approach things, maybe your philosophy on things. In return, we're going to allocate some time at the end of this conversation so that you can ask some questions. I do want to encourage you. A lot of your questions will probably be answered by the questions that I ask you. And then at the end, let's make a determination whether this looks like a pretty good match and we should take it to the next step. Or for some reason, it just doesn't seem to click either on our side or your side. And I'm asking you to to honor that. Does that sound like something we can move forward with as far as a conversation? It's a contract that I think I could buy into. Yeah. Yeah. I have never had anybody say, no, this sounds really ridiculous. I just want to start blasting away with questions. We just roll right into it. And I gave the three Ps without using the three Ps. Here's how I want to go about that. Are the purposes to get to know you better? I want to go about this with open-ended questions. I'm going to allow you to ask questions. And then finally, let's determine whether we take the next step together. So that is one of the best tools if you can practice it conscientiously. And even if you have to, use the purpose process and payoff. Many meetings, I write on a whiteboard, why are we here? How are we going to go about this today? And what's your takeaway? What is the payoff for you in our dialogue? And it really, for even for meetings, it really compresses so we don't get on all these rabbit trails. We have a meeting this afternoon internally, and I already know what the purpose, process, and payoff of that meeting is and the time frame around it. So it makes it, lowers the tension. Right. I'm not worried about being in that meeting on exactly how we orchestrate. Of course, I lead that meeting, so it makes it a little bit easier. But that tool is one of the best tools possible. And then if we move on to this next tool, and then we can elaborate on a lot of these, is commonality. Man, it is amazing the ability to lower any tension with anybody by trying to find that commonality. Right. Prior us being, we were in the green room, asked Tracy about uh, her upcoming huge event for your family. And then she tied it together with some automotive facts, with some history and makes me want to be there. Right. I mean, it was really, really cool to hear that. To your point earlier, right? It gets me off my laser beam focus I might have sometimes and relaxed and into the conversation. And then another question pops up or another idea. So commonalities, I had a guy, Lynn Peruca, that I worked for. He was amazing. He said, he just opened every conversation. So where are you from? And tell me about that. Powerful, powerful. The thing I like about commonality is if you're talking to me, I'm coming to you with an issue and you bring us together somehow with maybe something you know, or through asking open-ended questions, we find commonality in the things that we like, that we share, that we agree with. And internally, instead of having my balloon, but 110 PSI, you slowly bring me down into something that I can look at you and realize this normal guy here. No, a great point, right? Anytime that we can feel like we're more like the other person or we had similar experiences or we've been there or, hey, you know that? Yeah, I came, I'm the middle kid in the family, right? And the other guy's the middle. I'm not, I'm actually the oldest, but anything you can find that you can relate to automatically lowers the tension. I was talking to a gal yesterday. She would like me to come up and do some workshop for her. And I said, yeah, I went to school in that part of the state. I lived in that part of the state, worked for a large national company. I love that part of the state. 
it was, you could just tell the instant pride in, hey, yeah, I live here. I love living here. And we talked a little bit about that. I asked her about where she went to, how she ended up going to the university she went to for her uh, degree. And the conversation just flowed from there, right? Just made it much easier to talk about the things. Because I knew initially she wanted to know, hey, what's the price? And what is this? And But I wanted to break through just to get this commonalities going first. But Dan, there was no tension to start with. Yet, you're following all these rules. Jumping right in. Well, I did. I started off at the commonality spot. I looked at, at their website and she had, she was kind enough. They had a lot of information on each employee and I was able to instantly make connections. Oh, I've been there. I know that school. She's a bear. That was her mascot. I said, you're proud to be a bear? She said, absolutely. And then we talked. I mean, the first 90 seconds to two minutes was Whoo, you know, all right, I'm talking to somebody else that we've got some common experiences. The guys lived in this part of the, the state and we named specific communities. It just made for the rest of the 15 minute conversation, just made it for a whole lot smoother when we break down some initial barriers of, I don't know a thing about you and you don't know a thing about me. So one-on-one conversations, that's such a critical thing in our environments. We talk about this probably every meeting, the importance. And I know Rod's got it. His last book, his entire book is about one-on-one meetings, Rod Olson. We're going to be fortunate enough to get him again here in a couple of weeks. It might be the most important thing we do. Sit down and non, without disruptions, try to understand where somebody's coming from, what's going on in their life. I guess it's, you mentioned this earlier, it's the gift, right? It's the gift of time. And you and I talked prior, right? I know four people that lost loved ones last week. And I guess the bigger your circles get, the more unfortunate that becomes that that's part of life. And the gift of time is just incredibly valuable. So when we have a one-on-one that is completely with them, active listening, engagement, that's going to bring down the tension just because we got rid of all the darn distractions and noise. Totally agree with you. In fact, I love the one-on-one idea because... In fact, I don't even think there needs to be tension in a one-on-one. I mean, if, if you have a point to get across, something you'd love to say, a compliment that you'd love to give, and the other person is not even aware that you're ready to come up to them, there's no tension there. You, you're not bringing any tension. You're just bring, you, you may be bringing love, com, loving, caring, compassion, and something is, I, I just want to let you know you've been doing such a great job lately. Zero tension there. It's almost like those words get through easy. They, they get through better when there is intention to start. But to your point, the whole reason for this episode is if there's tension there, we've got to understand how to put it in abeyance. I can give you an actual event that happened yesterday. I got a phone call from the owner of the shops that we were visiting last weekend and his shop foreman, one of his key leaders, there was some interact. I mean, it always happens when you have a bunch of guys come and visit shops and from a networking group, and then they go make assessments and observations and give you feedback and all that stuff. And this guy is just an awesome human being, but it doesn't take long for his head to get him, get himself wrapped around his own axle. And so we talked to the owner and said, you know, you guys really need some one-on-one time. Most of the mission got accomplished. I asked the shop foreman to, I need you to be more assertive with what your needs are and what was troubling and what didn't get communicated that left you in a state of ambiguity. And then his mind got going. But here's the story behind this one-on-one. The owner picked them up. They got in the car and drove for three hours around town just talking. Made all the difference in the world. I love the idea. It's a great idea. He did the right thing. He said, you know what? The phone's not going to ring. If this is you and I's time to get connected, I want to know where you're coming from. I want to show you some things on what the future looks like. I do know he went and showed him some things that he wasn't, some advanced opportunities for some additional locations. I couldn't be more proud of the owner, one, taking the the bull by the horn. But I'm also glad that the shop foreman said, we need some one-on-one time. And part of that stage was set where he is going to now start working, meeting the store lead 10 minutes before everybody else gets there and talk about the day. Where are we at? Right. One again, back to that one on one. Instead of us having tension all day because neither one of us, we're both running around super busy. Let's spend that 10 minutes. All right. Empathy. Right. By the way, empathy is a soft skill. So it's something you can get better at. I think it probably comes more natural to some people. And then you can get on the scale where I'm at, where I'm a recovering codependent. I will tend to go rescue people and I get over empathetic. I have to protect myself and put some boundaries up against that. But the bottom line is empathy is measurable as a part of your personality, your soft skills. It's, it's soft wiring so we can redo it and we can become more conscientious 
of what needs to be said, not said, when a purposeful pause needs to be there. I sent a note to our friend Reggie Stewart. His gentleman was the guy that lost his wife. I don't want to get emotional about it. I knew his wife, terrific gal, and she fought cancer for about nine months. I don't have words for Ted who lost his wife. I texted him last week from the airport and I said, I called my wife and told her and I just sat here and wept. And at least you're walking by. I'm like, you know, I don't really care. I don't care. I care about Ted. I care about his wife and their family and their loss. And what a terrific lady. And I don't have any other words other than, Ted, I love you. And I, I wept. I'm sad. We have a, an episode on grief coming up from a grief counselor. And, you know, we're not afraid to tackle some of these type of subjects. In fact, there isn't anything that we've ever done that hasn't helped the human side of everything we do in our industry. I think you'll be able to understand how sometimes we are so uncomfortable when it comes to hearing about loss and how to deal with it. Yeah. Excellent. We've got clarifying questions, right? Which is all part of that listening stuff. I think anytime we ask a clarified question, we are actively listening. Whether we already fully understand what the other person said or not, and that doesn't mean there's, there isn't conversations where you just give a directive and you move on. And most of life falls into that category. But sometimes we need to say, I need you to elaborate. Can you share a little bit more? I'm, I'm a little bit sketchy and I want to make sure I co- clearly understand what you're sharing with me, right? So anytime we can ask clarifying questions, just think how apropos this is with clients. I mean, just asking them some follow-up questions, getting the cause and concern. One of the things that shop foreman tells share is, geez, Louise, if they would just ask a couple more questions from the client, it would certainly help me narrow the scope of diagnostics. Because when we don't do that, hey, it's making a noise. What the heck does that mean, right? We've got to ask all those clarifying questions. So another way of lowering the tension. It's Carm here talking to you about what the Napa Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the Napa brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show that nearly 95% of consumers recognize Napa and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a pro-image upgrade and take advantage of that? Pro-image is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. While the public may know you as a reliable locally owned business, a pro-image upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It's also a visual signal to customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, pro-image really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed a pro-image project enjoy an average 23% sales increase during the first year. Pro-image upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A pro-image interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a pro image exterior or interior upgrade could look like by visiting the Napa Auto Care members site and clicking on the pro image link under the Napa Pro Image tab. Or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about pro image plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care family, the largest network of independent automotive repair shops in the country. How many times have I heard from coaches that tell the service advisor, write a novel on the work order so that the technician can remember or see or hear what they didn't have a chance to hear if the service advisor is asking enough and all the right questions and the clarifying questions. And then just don't put, you just heard 400 words and you type in three. So to your point, write a novel. And I know you've brought this up in previous conversations. I'm really looking forward to the day where we can literally record a client. It transposes it. And then it takes some of the tension out of that interaction between the service advisor and the client and allows the technician who's flying blind to to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So what an exciting idea that's going to be, right? When we get to that spot where we can literally record it, they can read it, concise it. I mean, the, the AI stuff's going to make that happen for us, so... In a good way, right? Those, that's the positive use of that tool, right? Not the negative. Yep. Next, identify needs. Yes. Maybe not wants. I think many of us, we need our needs met, not our wants met. And when we can uncover those things, 
It's so much more rewarding in that consultative relationship approach to working with people. I am counseling, coaching, counseling one of my own technicians because he doesn't need to make more money. He needs to understand he and his wife, newlyweds, how to better be stewards of the dollars that they already bring in. And that conversation unfolded through dialogue, right? And he told me, he said, there's a lot of tension in our house around money. I said, well, we got to start breaking these barriers down because typically it's not that we don't make enough money. It's just what we're doing with the money and we let the wants get carried away and whatnot. So obviously there's a whole rabbit trail with that, with that comment. I'd love to go down it. Actually, I, I really should do an episode on it with a bunch of people, but I continue to question the motives, the motives of young people in having not learned a thing about budgeting restraint, common sense of, hey, we'd love to get a house, so it means we have to save. And if you have to save, you have to spend less. Well, what do you spend less on? And it just seems like the fear of missing out, social media, make sure that I've got my own B&B and all this stuff that is going on that I have to keep pace with. Oh, my kids expect this and I've got to spend the money and sooner or later, paycheck to paycheck happens and no one gets ahead. And all I do, is, Dan, is I go back to thinking how I was raised and the frugality, I guess, I grew up appreciating that I am not sure exists today which is why we need Mr. Ramsey more than ever. Yes, right. I mean, we have, this is a little bit of a stinger, but I'll make this bold statement and I believe it to be a truth. We live in a financially illiterate country. And if we don't get our heads around this and start coaching people, most of our challenges with employees end up being around money, right? I mean, I need more money. I need more money. Wait a minute here, guys. You're making two and a half times what the national family averages. How is it somehow you're not making enough? So we do, right? The Dave Ramsey platform, you know, I've been debt-free for 20 years. I'm like you. I grew up throwing notes people. I've had money since I was 10 because I didn't have any money. And I watched that stuff extremely careful. And you know what? You got to follow guys that practice what they preach, not just running after all the wants, 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 keeping up with the Jones. We used to say keeping up with the Jones. I don't know if that still exists, but social media has really distorted this. There was a study recently that shows that the X, what is it, Z-Gens, they want to make $200,000 a year now, but they only think they need a couple hundred thousand dollars for their entire retirement. They've got to completely, they have it completely backwards, right? You're going to make 50 to 70, whatever the number is now, you need hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for retirement if you want to live comfortably. So there's some good things going on in that arena and there's a lot of distortion. Having taught elementary for four years, I can tell you there's not many opportunities. They push so much. Those We got to teach the STEM stuff and teach to the test kind of thing. And that's absolutely legitimate. I felt the pressure for four years that I taught elementary that we don't get a chance to teach some of these common sense life skill sets that are so necessary. And then as employers, as employers, we're now responsible. They didn't learn it at home. They didn't learn it in school, and they're not learning it from the neighbors, so guess who gets to teach it? The point you made is so powerful. It could be the biggest, second, third biggest takeaway from this episode, and that is it's our responsibility to help our people learn to live on what they earn, not what we're paying them, because ultimately, in so many of our top-tier shops, they've got hybrid pay programs, ways to earn a lot of money. And so if you're working hard and you're earning this, don't tell me, that you're going to go out and get a $1,000 a month car payment program on that brand new truck or whatever. Let's come back down to reality. So I think we have to help as leaders in our industry, our people to survive on whatever it is that they make and then set the career path so they can make more money, but ultimately not spend it as they get it. So, okay, off my soapbox, we got to come back and do something on this. <laughs> Yeah, that could be a whole guest panel. I, there, there's some great shop owners that really push the Ramsey University. Yeah, we've done shows on it, Dan. And maybe it's probably time to do another. Yeah, and, and we got to get people to listen to that and buy into it, right? The challenge is, and I know I've seen many of your episodes where people state facts. Like half America doesn't have a $400 emergency fund. 60, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. We got to get out of that, right? Most of the world, one, we're already so stinking prosperous. It's ridiculous, right? If you look around the world, we're already in the 1% that have ever lived on, in life and on this planet. We have it so good and yet we want more. And that's where this conversation started. We want, 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 but we're not willing to slow down and earn things and then really appreciate them because we earned it, right? Or we haven't identified what our true needs are. 
Thank you for going down that rabbit hole with me. Let's find the next one. Active listening. Active listening. Yeah, we've certainly talked about that. And we will do an episode on listening. Affirmations, right? You talked about this earlier. Being sincere and specific with a compliment it is not that challenging. As I've gotten to know you over the years, Carm, this is sincere and specific. I appreciate the energy and passion you put into trying your very best to make a positive impact on those around you in our industry. Thank you. That's an affirmation. And the more you practice it, the better you get. And those are, by the way, are free. Capital F-R-E-E. They don't cost you a dime. If you want to energize people, affirmations is the easiest thing to do. If you can't come up with 10 affirmations on somebody, you got some work to do, right? Get in there and start practicing it, right? They should just flow from you, right? People love being affirmed. And when you and I and Rod get together, I sent you already one slide deck. 49% of Americans surveyed recently. If you'll just give me an affirmation or try to inspire me a little bit, I'll work harder for you. Wow. I'm into working smarter, not harder. If half my employees just need a sincere compliment every day or a little rah-rah, right? We got to get away from the old school 70s and 80s and, and 60s or whatever. I grew up in that where it was, we didn't give affirmations. You just called it, you shot and then you aimed, right? You just called it was what it was and you moved on. And it's really critical that we stay relevant and we shift our delivery of things over to affirmations. So absolutely can lower tension immediately with an affirmation. We should do a whole entire show on affirmations. I love <laughs> that. Now you're writing more notes which I appreciate. I love this. Number nine. Also, do you want a solution or just to listen? Yeah, boy, does that apply with the male, female genders? Yeah, I, my wife, this is not, I'm not trying to make fun of genders. Oftentimes, gals just need to express what's going on, right? They just want to share. And what do we do as guys? We're natural problem solvers. So we get in there and, hey, well, here's how to solve this thing. A vast majority of the time, they just want to talk, right? They just want to, my wife told me, Eight minutes on a phone call last weekend about her walk up the hill with the dog. The new dog, right? The dog that sees television <laughs> we talked about. I, I'm not thinking in my own head because I'm selfish Dan and what's in it for me. Can we get to the conclusion of this? Can we summarize this thing? You know, I mean, she's going blow by blow up the whole hill. We live by a couple of uh, lakes uh, that are damned up. And I'm just like, but you know what? Stop. Slow down, Dan. And I just need to, to hear my wife. She's not looking for a solution. She just wants to share something. It's so critical. And we'll talk more about this in the listening episode that we'll put together. That is a really big gender thing. It's been studied. It's, again, I'm not making fun of genders. It's a fact, right? And thank God the ladies in our lives are wired that way. We need to be enlightened. A, an idea. So Anne comes to me and she's going to go on and share something. And there's a lot going on in my think or things I have to do, calendar, timeline, agenda. And I don't want to blow her off because it's important to her, okay? And what I have to do is I have to squeeze my hand or I have to move, cross my legs, uh, step back. I have to do something physical in my mind, okay? Even put my hand on my face because if I don't do that, I won't pay attention. And it's just my interesting little way. She comes to you about the dog story and you're waiting for the conclusion. You may want to squeeze your hand a couple of times because it's taking a little longer to get there. But... I guess one of the things that we have to think about, because we always have a solution, we always cut them short. I'm, I'm guilty. We're both guilty, me and Anna, of having the conclusion of, we didn't have, we're not really asking a question, we're just telling a story, but the other person thinks you're asking a question or looking for a conclusion at the end. So this is all so great. It's almost like initially lower tension in any conversation, that's what we're here to talk about, but I'm almost getting the feel of how not to create tension, <laughs> how not to create tension. Yeah, you want to escalate things? Just dive right in, cut them off. You'll raise tension, right? We could do another. Here's some ways of really going the wrong direction in a conversation, right? Don't look for commonalities. Don't tell them why, why you're meeting. Cut them off. You know, all those things that, that are helpful. You're absolutely right, Carm. We end up, and I think most of the time, unintentionally doing them, right? Our minds are going, a lot of stuff going on, the pressures of life, the pressures of, you know, things that are going on. Yeah. Number 10, discernment. I don't know if that's uh, with age. I still tend to have CRI disease. Do you know what that is? No. A cranial rectal inversion. As a male, I still get cases of that quite often. And it's certainly, right, discernment just... Over time, you just learn when to say something, not say something. This is another acronym, right? The THINK acronym. Before you say something, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it needed? And is it kind? And I, I shared that again with, and one of the things that from this last weekend that was so inspirational to me 
Meatball Dan needs to go back to the fundamentals on a very regular basis because I forget. I wanted to share something that I observed that was the truth. Could have been helpful, yes, but you know what? I still haven't figured out how to package it nicely, inspirationally, or very kindly. So you know what? I need to keep my and let it go. So that's discernment, right? And if the opportunity comes up in the future, then I will share my observations with that individual. You just summarized this entire episode. And I'm going to tell you what my takeaway was, and we're only halfway through the list. We are imperfect. We have to stop and think, which is why our job of being a great listener, of clarifying questions, is because the next time we have a chance to do something like that, our imperfection comes in and we get back in charge. We have to stop with all the training that we get, all the great advice that we get, and say, I know better. Why did I do that? Because it's almost like we need that slap upside the head every time we get ready to open our mouth because we're imperfect. That's my thinking here, is that why do I need to learn about intentionally lower attention? Because we're so imperfect that we always, we can in many cases jump back into the place I shouldn't be. Yeah. The human condition, right? Yeah. Oh my God. It's the human condition. It always goes back to fundamentals. They don't ever change. That's the crazy part. And yet we forget them. And then we have to go back and we have to go back and we have to go back. We have to go back. And that's why I said, I literally could probably look at this list every day, 20 times a day, and I'm going to still goof up. And I think I shared this with you before. My leadership groups, I'm done coming up with new material. I keep saying that and I throw something new at you because all we really need to just keep going over the things that are the truths, right? That are factual things that make a difference. We need to listen better. We need to think before we say. We need to slow down. You just gave me a great idea for my classroom page on the website. I should create a category of episodes that people can look at that are called fundamentals. I love that, by the way. Ooh, number 11, neutral ground. Here's a great example. If you have something you need to discuss with a technician, maybe it's a comeback or something. Obviously, his bay is his turf. To step outside and get some sunshine or some fresh air, that might make all the difference in the conversation. This is a true story. We did shop visits, Greg and I did years ago. This guy, his lunchroom, no one used it. I said, why isn't anybody using this awesome air-conditioned lunchroom? And I had all the conversations with the employees as far as getting to understand what was going on. And he said, oh, well, if Mike says he needs to see you in the lunchroom, that means you're not coming out with a job. So they took would have been a neutral location, ended up unfortunately making it a negative connotation. So sometimes go to Starbucks, like the story earlier. Get the guy in your car and drive around town for three hours and talk. We're, we're not at the shop. We're not distracted. So sometimes these neutrality, a neutral location to, to even things out, especially if you're in the quote unquote superior role, maybe you need to come down a notch and get on their turf. Maybe go meet them in the bay in their setting and give them give them the upper hand as far as location, right? And the tone or tension that might be around that conversation. Just food for thought, food for thought. Great point, Dan. Uh, number 12, explanation and reasons. Let people explain why something happened without jumping to the conclusions that they're just making excuses. There's a lot of stuff in life that happens that wasn't necessarily an excuse or a reason that they didn't get it done. It just, things happen. It ends up having you hear the other side of the story. Why did that happen? Why why did you do that? Well, they explained it to you and now you've got buy-in. And a lot of times you talk things through, you bring your tension down, you come up with your own idea, you refigure out that, well, that probably was the wrong thing to do or say. And it does bring down the tension by listening to the person explain and getting their perspective or point of view. I love that. Number 13, action, speak louder than words. Yeah, I think everything that we've talked about the last 20 or 30 minutes is encompassed in that. I think people are measured on their hypocrisy, rightfully so. And I guess at the same time, the human condition, the fact that we're imperfect, doesn't allow us to execute all the time perfectly. But it's critical that we try to act like we are telling people we act, that we asking questions and doing those things. And I think those are some of the breakthroughs on the leadership side, on a maturity side. People watch you. So it's important to act out what you claim you believe. You have to practice what you preach. It's hard, isn't it? It can be. It's it's all situational. You walk into a situation having been there before, feeling you know the answer without getting all the answers. And so you're not really... You're diving into basically what you preach, but it doesn't necessarily work in the situation that you're in. I think everything is situational. I mean, there's this whole thing, the whole tension thing is why is there tension? What's the situation that brings us to this 
particular point, then how can we minimize it and then move on and build a stronger relationship? Real quick snippet there. Humility is an unbelievably attractive quality. One of the guys who's the unspoken leader of the last, the shop forming group I just met with, we're an hour and a half or what into this. And he said, I have a question for you. How should these meetings go? What do you know about what we do? Stop for a second. And I said, you know what? I have no idea. I'm here to learn from you guys. I'm just here facilitating the conversation. I said, and I, I think I'm okay at that, but maybe I can even learn some things about that too, guys. And he, everybody just sat there and he goes, thank you, because that's the answer I needed to hear. I said, all right, is there anything else you need to hear while we're on this topic? Because there was unknown tension to me, which is another whole topic. He'd been in multiple ones over the years and I'm the new guy. He knew me because he was in a workshop I did. But he also said, well, I also know you're a high energy guy. And I was really worried about you bringing it and just coming over the top. And I said. Okay. I said, I can only be me, so I can't be like anybody other than Dan, but I'm here to be receptive and responsive to whatever you guys need. As long as we all agree from a social contract standpoint, we're all going to move forward. Was that humbling? Well, I knew I didn't know. I love your answer. I just love your answer. In fact, I think your answer was perfect. Well, that's what he said. Thank you. And he did. He said, that's what I needed to hear. I said, guys, I don't know. I don't, I've never done your job. But I, I know sweet spots within our work worlds, right? Our operations. I understand where things need to be in a general sense. And the beauty about independent repair is you can do it a lot of different ways and win. So I'm just here to help you win. And then it goes back to my fundamentals of I'm here to help you uh, personally and professionally prosper. And if you're willing to do that, I'm on board. And if you can't, we're probably going to have some challenges because I'm here to help you grow. Somebody else asked me that, a different question. And I never met this guy. He said, what do you enjoy most about what you do? And I said, you know what? I love working with leadership groups because it's reciprocal energy. I get as much out of it as hopefully other people getting out of the overall conversation. And maybe that's applicable to what you do, Carm. It's reciprocal, right? We get to learn every day. We get a different perspective. Really cool stuff, right? I mean, I really feel blessed. I am with you and we could go on for a whole half hour on how I look at what I do and and how I get feedback on what happens because of what I do. Great stuff. Okay, the story behind the story. Number 14. You got to peel the onion sometimes, right? If somebody's wound up and you're reading nonverbals, they are not behaving like their normal sense. We got to ask some additional questions. And sometimes it sounds crazy. Sometimes you you have to ask the question why up to six or seven times to get to the root cause of why somebody's upset or why part of their normal be interaction with people or their behavior has changed. I love the word story, Dan. I just love it. The word story encompasses life. Again, go back to the word situational that I used earlier and to really understand why the person did, acted, said what they did because they have a story that helped them create their narrative. I love that, the story behind the story. Number 15, step back, take a break. Yeah, sometimes we just need to know when to let things go. Best example are sometimes my wife, not very often, but once in a while my wife will get in a little bit and she'll say, I need to think about this for a day or two. And I need to honor that request and just let things settle. Let the dust settle, so to say, and give things a little time. We don't have to fix it right this second in most cases. I use the word incubate a lot because that to me allows me to do some thinking because I don't necessarily always want to be the person that has, oh, he, every time you ask him something, he has an answer very quickly and it's always right. I'm not AI. I am not superhuman. And so a lot of the times when I, I will not, in fact, I think I want to be allowed to be wrong. And so I don't necessarily need to come up with an answer, but I need to incubate everything that I know about the situation. So I love that. Step back, take a break. Number 16, be a safe place. I love this. Yeah, and that probably overlaps with discernment. I mean, I have a lot of people share things with me that they know it's safe with me. I'm not going to tattle. In fact, I had about four conversations yesterday. I knew things that, one, it's not my place to share, but they, they know by sharing what's going on in their life or asking questions that they at least can bounce some ideas off. I usually ask some clarifying questions or ask them, are you looking for any kind of additional information? Do you want me to ask you some questions? How is it you want me to interact with you? Because I want to be that safe place. And, and over the years, I mean, I have 130 people or so now I interact with in all these different groups. I probably had two dozen say, I don't know that I want to stay here. 
okay, let's talk about that. Let's explore that. Most of them, probably 90% of them are still with the organization, but they just needed to go through that process. They couldn't take it to their owner. They couldn't take it to their immediate supervisor. They just needed to a safe place to exercise their thoughts, incubate on it, right? And figure out what might be best for them and their family. Great. Thank you. Uh, Number 17, find an outside voice that has no skin in the game for advice like this. Sometimes, especially if things escalate and you run into an impasse, it's okay to bring in a third party non-bias and try to very objectively lay out everything. See if there's some common ground. If that person's good at what they do or you brought them in for a reason, then then hopefully they can help you find some some common ground. So that's the third party thing. If, if things really get intense, well, why do we have arbitration, right? We have arbitration because we have two sides that don't agree. Let's try to get it in front of a, a neutral third party and see if we can't figure out a solution that works for everybody. Great pointer. Great pointer. Number 18, build value. Yeah. So often, and this is certainly true in our industry, we're about building value. So if you're with a client and it's about price, we got to go back and realize we're never going to win the price war. So why are we going there? You've got to deflect to a different topic. So that would just be one example. And I know our time is running, running thing. We could probably do entire podcasts on some of these things, but we have to remember we're a value proposition and most things in life are a value proposition unless you're talking about pure commodities. I totally love your idea. I mean, I think we could bundle four or five of these things together and we can go deep on them and I think help people figure out, it doesn't necessarily have to be around tension, but could just be around how to deal with as life travels by us. Number 19, common ground. Yeah, find that common ground because oftentimes I I do this personal values exercise. I've done it with all the leadership groups. It's, It's absolutely fascinating because when you say integrity and I say honesty, is a value of mine. Are, are we essentially kind of saying the same thing? And it's amazing how everything falls into five or six categories. And we're so much more alike than we are different. And if we can break down some of these barriers, most of us are in agreement on a lot of things, or at least in a spot where it's there shouldn't be this extra tension. I don't know how our country got to the spot it got to, where we've become so polarized over things. But generally speaking, if you sit down and have a conversation over a glass of wine or a Coke, We're kind of aligned, right? We're basically in alignment. We care about our families. We love being Americans. We love entrepreneur spirit. We have a faith component. We believe in work ethic and doing a good job. I mean, all these things are common ground that when we lose sight of that, tension tends to bubble up. I don't know if it's like mold in the refrigerator, just cold, it grows. But we have an opportunity if we remind ourselves what the common ground is. Why is the national anthem so powerful, right? I don't want to get into the dialogue about using it as a platform, but Typically, Americans stop and and pay respect to that because we appreciate being Americans and that's common ground for us. So many of our organizations have common ground of one type or another. That's why core values and all those other ones that, that you have conversations with people, that's why it's so darn important to folks is we need to know what the common ground is. Well said, well said. Agree to disagree, number 20. Ah, boy, this is a lost art. There are times that you don't have to agree with the other person. You guys can understand each other's points respectfully or their views respectfully and let it be. We agree to disagree. In fact, I I actually practice that a lot. Guys, let's agree to disagree. And then we move on. And at some point later on, maybe we revisit it, but it's perfectly okay to agree to disagree. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) Not to disagree, but to agree. Social agreement. This is interesting. 21, social agreement. Oh, you know, I use this for every meeting. Every meeting uh, that I do with my leadership group, I do it when I do workshops. It's a really simple tool and you can get acknowledgement pretty quick. You ask for people to confirm that they're on the same page. So real quick example is I'll say, you know what? Here's our social contract. Here's what I'm going to commit to you and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay, for our workshop, we will do 50 minute blocks. And if we go a minute over, I'll ask for consensus that it's okay to extend that for a minute or two. We will take a break every 50 minutes. Additionally, I need us all to agree that we're going to put away our cell phones because, again, unless the world's on fire, right, 50 minutes, we should all be able to live without our phones or our laptops on, okay? If you have an emergency, do the timeout because I have guys that are responsible for buildings and sometimes things get carried away. They'll do that and just get up and move out of the room without distracting the whole meeting. And then finally, I need you to honor each other and we're all going to practice active listening that's as simple as that. And I say, can we all agree to that? And I get head nods. That's a social contract. And we have social contracts all over the place. If you use that as a tool, though, with groups, 
with meetings, with any, if your family, you can have a social contract with your family, right? People are usually in agreement and then you don't become the bad guy. The social contract was what we all agreed to. You point to the social contract. Before every meeting that you may have, say you have a weekly meeting at your shop, it'd be just so cool to run down that social agreement so that you can actually get something done. Yeah, we're all going to be on time. Meeting won't go more than five minutes or eight or whatever the time frame is on it. Here's the purpose process of the meeting and bam, that makes meetings great. And we could do a whole nother topic. I have a work built on meetings, why people hate them and they hate them because they're not constructive. Let's do a meeting episode. Let's do a meeting episode. Okay. Uh, Number 22, the final one here on the show today, read body language, non-verbals. This is so powerful. Oh, huge, 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 huge. I have a whole entire workshop on this. I've done four-hour blocks on this, just this one topic. The percentage of non-verbals is somewhere between, you know, I don't know how they calculate this stuff, but it's 60, 70% of our actual communication is non-verbals. You know, I'll have people go, I don't know what to say. Your body's going to tell you, tell the person what you're trying to say. Another soft skill that you can get better and better at, at learning and reading. Joe Navarro is one of the, my favorite authors in that category. A lot of videos out. He is the world's probably most expert in body language. And it, it, you could spend days talking about it. I have like six of his 11 or 12 books. Absolutely love that topic because if you can get better at doing it, you will automatically lower the tension because you're going to mirror or understand non-verbally what the other person is expressing or telling you without saying a word. I agree. I love it. Posture, eye contact, you know, being open with your hands, you know, how, how we can close in, which basically says we're not listening. Wow. Those were 22 incredible pointers for tension. I would have never, ever, never even thought it would be that extensive. So you really thought this through pretty well. Well, I appreciate that, Carm. Yeah, there's probably another 50 if you and I put our brains to it. But yeah, hopefully our audience got something out of those tools. If there's some additional ones, I'd love to hear them posted on your YouTube channel. I would love to even to learn additional ones that people use as a tool to help lower tension. Well, thank you so much, Dan Taylor, Senior Business Advisor, Transformers Institute. Uh, We're going to do some more here in the future. You're going to bring Rod Olson back. Great author. What an incredible episode we did. Me and Dan got some cool stuff planned for you. So we're excited about that. Thank you for coming on and sharing your passion, your wisdom, not only for the human side of how we deal and communicate in life, but the fact that you're an automotive aftermarket pro. And so Dan's steeped in all this great uh, experience. Look at, I know you learned something here and positive you did. So now use it and go get something done about it. Thanks. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast until next time. 